welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 13, The Devil You Know. I feel like I need the theme song. I mean, this definitely is like, dun, dun, dun. What's the spookiest theme song? What's the one with horns that's just like, you know, that they used to have in like old, old timey detective shows? (laughs) I (laughs) do the reveal of who the bad guy was. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I'm sure that has a name, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. That's when you sound hound, just the sound of like, murk, 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 and see if it actually picks it up. <laughs> so last week, you had not remembered Jolinar's memories. After watching that, did you remember this, like, second part of it? No. No, of course not. No? Of course nothing? I did not. I'm questioning whether or not I really did watch all these. <laughs> the first time. I mean, me too, but... I really think that the reason why I can't remember like 85% of these is just because I binged watch them so fast and they all merge together yeah so it's pretty much pretty much what happened yeah well shall we get into it then oh let's do okay so this is The Devil You Know. It originally aired on October 29th, 1999, and appropriately spookily Halloween-y kind of mm. episode, I think. Mm-hmm. It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Peter DeLuise. We do have a different writer for the second part, but the same director, which I think helps. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, imprisoned on a hellish moon controlled by Sokar, SG-1 and Martuf are subjected to torture by one of their worst enemies. One of them? They have a lot of worst enemies, I guess. They do have a lot. And at this point, yes, I think Apophis is one of the worst. Yes. Yes. A lot of worst enemies. Yeah. So we do start with a previously on... To remind everybody what happened in Jolinar's memories. And then basically the devil you know picks up right where Jolinar's memories left off. With Apophis having revealed himself to SG-1 and Martouf in Binar's chambers. And Jack's like, hey, we're not happy to see you. And Apophis is like, I'm so delighted to see you. Because he thinks he can use SG-1 to gain back some semblance of power at this point and Daniel then tells him that Amonet is dead sorry actually no not sorry so which I kind I kind of like that for Daniel's like hey your wife she's dead sorry actually no I'm not whenever Daniel is trying to be a bitch like that he is so so bitch about it he is because he says it so calm and yeah. distinctive and yes. I want you to hear me when I tell you that yes. the love of your life is dead yes. and it's just it's great it is it's fantastic yes. mm-hmm. um, but apparently Sokar had already told Pafis that little bit of news but he didn't want to believe it and so he's like so then that means Tilk is the one who killed Amonet. So why isn't he here? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, good question from Apophis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the guards, uh, this is Kintak, he finds the communication device that Daniel was hiding, that thing that Martouf had. So Apophis uses that to, like, contact Tilk and do that sort of overbloated gloating thing that the ghouls love to do. Mm-hmm. To anybody, anytime this kind of situation occurs, and is like, I will find you and kill you, blah blah blah. Yeah, you will okay. bow before me. So, um, I missed it though. Like, I just thought it was such a funny kind of moment out of the blue when they caught Daniel with the communication device, where it was just like, this one is hiding something, but we didn't see him like move it or have it in his hand or like whatever. So it was just, it was very weird. Yeah. All of a sudden, they were like, this one has something. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah. 
because it's like he was maybe kind of trying to hide it, but not, yeah, not really. No. Yeah. Yeah. But he'd had it like the whole time then. Yeah. Yeah. And only then they were like, ha ha. Yeah. Okay. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So Apophis then names Kintak as his first prime and orders SG one to be thrown back into the, thrown back into the pit, but not to be killed because he'll take care of that later. That's the after party. Yeah. So in the pit, Martouf has a little like, I told you so moment, which is like, okay, yes, thank you, Martouf. But no one else seems to think that Apophis actually has any hope of making it out of this situation alive. Like, they're all like, does Apophis really think Sokar is going to, like, let him live and go? And so Martouf is, well, probably if he can get the secrets of Earth and the Tok'ra out of us, that's something worth trading for as we cut to the opening credits. Insert interpretive dance. <laughs> so we come back from the opening credits and the denizens of Natu have gathered to hear Apophis speak. And he does his like this whole like, let Sokar come. I will defeat him. Follow me and we will conquer all of the gold and rule the galaxy. What Like whatever. Um and SG-1 can hear this down in the pit, and they basically just roll their eyes at him because typical ghoul bullshit is happening. Would you have followed him? I mean, if only to not die, I guess. I don't know. It was also another thing that seemed kind of sudden. Like, I feel like he should have been campaigning for a while, you know, like like laying down some, hey, when the opportunity strikes, we are all over this. We're going to be awesome. But no, he was like, ha ha, it is I. I will be your leader. Follow me. Well, I mean, he was also like, you know, I have killed Binar, And Binar was the one who was ruling over Natu. So this is the guy who killed the ruler of Natu. So he's now the de facto ruler of Natu. I guess. Yeah. So. De facto, Natu, de facto. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then up with Sokar, he gets the news that there was a cargo ship found in orbit around Natu, but it then jumped to hyperspace and got away. Sokar then demands that the fleet be ready to attack the system lords in two days' time. And the Jaffa there is like, I mm, I can't. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, my lord. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Two days. Sure. Yep. Got it. Two days. What is the day? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that if you keep <laughs> listening. Okay. So back on Natu, Kintak has come to report what he has found like on SG-1 because when Apophis ordered SG-1 back into the pit, he also ordered them to like be searched to find out that they had anything like on their persons. And the only thing he found was the nose hair trimmer, <laughs> a.k.a. the memory recall device. Yeah. Um, also, any of the denizens who decided to not follow Apophis were banished to the surface. So, but they'll be back or they're going to die. So basically everybody's following Apophis now. Mm-hmm. And Apophis also reveals to Kintek that he already knows the identity of these intruders and then demands that the woman be brought before him. So Kintek goes to get Carter and Jack's like, oh, hell no. And gets shot in the leg with a staff weapon. And Carter's like, okay, okay. all right. Yeah, not good for Jack. And Carter, Sam's like, all right, fine. I'm I'm coming. I'm coming. Mm-hmm, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Daniel and Martouf go to look after Jack, and Daniel pulls out a handkerchief and basically makes a tourniquet. And Jack's he did a lot of pain. A lot of pain. He does such a good job of playing somebody in pain. He really does. Like there's yeah. one like while Daniel's like tying the tourniquet, you can tell like Richard Dean Anderson's like trying to say you son of a bitch, but like chokes it off because <laughs> he can't. Because, mm-hmm. you know, TV. Because TV. But, yeah. But, yeah, RDA is really good at, like, playing in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We then get a very brief shot of Tilk flying the cargo ship through hyperspace to somewhere. 
so Sam is brought to Sokar, who's going to use the memory recall device to find out everything that he wants to know. And I quit. So does Apophis know that Sam is the one with like the memory recall device on her to use with, you know, the no hair trimmer thing? Or does he just like want Sam? I'm trying to remember if in the timeline of events, had the Jolinar thing happened before uh, he like was that the episode where he died? Uh, yeah. I feel like, yeah, because I thought there was a part in there where he like, he sensed her and was like, you can't be a host. You've already been or like, you've already been a host. Hey, how about we do this? Yeah. So he so he knew already that she had Jolinar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. He already knew he'd. Be, yeah. Cause that was in the line of duty, which was the second episode of season two. And then his arrival on Earth and his death was like in the last like third of season two. Yeah. So so do you think he wanted to question Sam because he knew she had been host to a Togra? Yes. Okay. I think so. All right. Well, he probably knew that Jolinar was the only one to get out. That's... Mm. Mm. But did he... He knew she was host to somebody. Oh, but when they arrived on the planet... In in the last episode, she was like, I was host to Jolinar, which he probably yeah. heard. That's yeah. okay. So that's why he's like, bring me her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So he wants to, like, turn on the memory recall device to find out how Jolinar escaped. And she's like, it doesn't work that way. But he just turns it on full blast and Sam's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. But he's got this other trick up his sleeve, which is the blood of Sokar, which sounds delicious. It does. It sounds amazing. Yeah. And so there's just this bowl of liquid that he scoops into a cup and is basically forced down her throat. And this then leads to a flashback of Sam and Jacob Possibly on the day of her mother's funeral, maybe? That's what I thought, too. Okay. Um, and we get, a, a, like, a little more information here about, like, what happened to Sam's mom. And basically, Jacob was supposed to pick her up from somewhere, but got stuck at work. So she ended up taking a cab, and then there was an accident, and that's how she died. And Sam's brother is like, I want nothing to do with you to Jacob. And Jacob tells Sam, you know, he can't really lose her and her brother after this because he's already lost his wife and everything. And he doesn't really want her forgiveness like right now, but just a promise that someday things will be okay with them. And this memory kind of flashes and repeats a few times. And I got to say, I really like how they do this. Here and like with all of the other ones that we're going to get where things kind of repeat themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of piece together. Yeah. yeah. And Sam is like very confused about what ha- what's happening and why the memory is repeating. And if she had just hated him, she never would have gotten involved with the military. And so would have never joined the Stargate program and he would have just died. And he's like, but I am dying and I need your help to get home. But he can't get, he can't get home if he doesn't have the iris code. And she's like, no, what? This isn't right. This isn't real. And Jacob kind of dissolves into Apophis insisting that Sam tell him how to get through Earth's Stargate or he'll kill her father. So are we going with the assumption that like whatever hallucination manifests is kind of what Apophis like tries to just like play into and go with? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just found I thought all of the situations are just so weird for him trying to get like information out of people. Yeah, because, well, I mean, as Sam says, like, the the re- the memory recall device, and also as we learn in Jolinar's memories, you can't be like, 
hey, remember this specific thing. It just sort of amplifies memories in general. So, yeah, I think he's just using whatever SG-1 and whoever, what they're saying and sort of going along with it and then trying to manipulate that into getting the information that he wants out of it. I think also what we can learn from this episode is that he is terrible at interrogation, like awful, like so bad because that's the note I had later. Yes. (laughs) He's terrible. 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 Because like the situation's going along fine. And then all of a sudden somebody in the hallucination is like, tell me this thing. It's like, what? What? It isn't. How did we get there? No, no, he doesn't even try to like, yeah, it's just like A and then Z with Mm -hmm. like nothing in between. Terrible at interrogation. No wonder why he's never found out anything. Yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not (laughs) great at interrogation. No. No. So the cargo ship with Tilk is back on Vorash and there's a few other Toker on board and Tilk plays Apophis's message. From the last episode to them, and explains that he knew like SG-1 and everyone wouldn't be able to escape, so he came back to Vorash ASAP to tell them like what Sokar's plans were about the whole attacking the system lords and everything. And he then asks for help to go back and rescue everyone because Sokar will obviously try to regain control once he learns that Binar is dead. And so one of the Tok'ra, uh, whose name is Aldwin, will go consult with the High Council, which we know how the High Council works. And, no. Not very well. No. So uh, back on A2, it's now Jack's turn to be tortured. Mm-hmm. And Apophis tries to get Jack to believe that Sam was, like, super helpful and told him everything. But, yeah, no. Jack's like, she didn't tell you squat. No. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And, but then Apophis tries to sort of keep playing with that and is like, I didn't bring you here for information. This is, like, just for funsies. Because I like <laughs> torturing people. <laughs> I do like that line. Here, here yeah. for my amusement. You're here for my yes. And so what's Jack's first flashback once the Toker recall devices in him? Why it's Charlie. Of course. Of course it's Charlie. And then we also get more of like the blood of Sokar forced into him. Mm-hmm. And uh before anything goes further with there, we cut back to Sam back in the pit where she wakes up from apparently being unconscious. And Jacob is not doing well at all. And Daniel and Martouf tell her that Apophis took Jack and she tells them about the blood of Sokar. And according to Martouf, this is apparently a very well-known narcotic that can cause very realistic hallucinations. And she then crawls over to her dad and insists that he has to survive, if only so she doesn't have to tell his grandkids about what happened. Which, That's yeah, fair. I mean, yeah, fair. And Sam then warns Martouf about, like, what Apophis did and that he can't let Apophis use Jalnar against him. And it's like, you you, you think you know, but you have no idea what, like, the blood of Sokar with the Toker memory recall thing will do. Like, you can't let him get to you. Just say nay. <laughs> yeah. So Apophis is using Charlie to try and get information from Jack B. So this is not just for funsies, as he had said. And what he was lying. He, oh my god. Just oh, stop. I mean, he's a ghoul. Did you really expect him to tell the truth? Uh maybe. I mean, his face looks so honest. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. By the way, do we ever get to know what happened to the face with no. the with the you know and why he even actually got like a Phantom of the Opera something to put on it? No, just no. No car torture. That's what he looks like now. That's what he looks like now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Like, what's happening in these memories is really interesting because it's like a memory that knows it's a memory, which is interesting. So, Charlie 
quote unquote, is talking about how like like this isn't what happened. Like Jack had come back with the baseball glove and was like, Hey, let's play catch. And Charlie's like, that's not how this day happened. Like we didn't play catch. I got mad at you and went inside. And then two weeks later, I shot myself with your gun. It's like, (laughs) which that's, that's not how memories work. Really? No. No. And Jack's like, just, can we please just play catch? And Charlie's like, if you tell me what I want to know, sure, we can play catch. And he's like, sure, anything, whatever you want to know. Just tell me what you want to know and we can play catch. And so Charlie's like, hey, how did you contact the Asgard? How did you get the knowledge (laughs) of the ancients? Because that was like super cool, right? And Jack's like, that's, you can't know that. Which again, a pop interrogation at it. Because, yeah, no, that's not a thing that Charlie should be asking Jack about. Yeah. So. Tell me about the aliens, Dad. No. 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 Because the aliens didn't come into play until, like, a year after Charlie had died, so. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -mm. Terrible. Awful. Yes. He should not put that on his resume. No. No. So, back on Vorash. Uh, Aldwin is back in the cargo ship and he has been ordered to return to Natu and he has a weapon with him that will take out Sokar. But the way the weapon works is that they'll actually launch it into the core of Natu, making the core unstable enough to explode, taking out Sokar's mothership with it, along with everybody on Natu. So what about like SG-1 and Martuf and Jacob? And according to the Troka, they are no longer a priority. And so Alderman's like, if you're just going to get in my way, you should stay here. And so Tilk's like, I'm going to go with you. I'm going with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And at what point in time did they, did they decide that it was a better idea to shoot like a giant something that would explode the moon instead of just shooting a giant something that would explode the ship? Well, Aldwin says they don't have weapons that can penetrate a mother ship's like defense shields. But whatever they do have can blow up a moon? Yes, so... I was reading about that and was and people were like, why can it explode a moon but not why? explode a mothership? So it's a good so, so what the weapon does, like if if you really like look at what Alduin says, so the weapon they have, they'll fire into one of those holes that Sokar had previously blown into the moon that went from the surface all the way down to the core. So they so take their weapon fired into the core and it's does something that basically destabilizes the core enough to then set off some sort of massive explosion. So they decided to rip off Star Wars and do the missile into into the long core that would explode the Death Star. Yes. It's what they decided to do. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> I think we're we're, we we're Star Warsing the son of a bitch. We are. You know? <laughs> all right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So Jack is back in the pit on Natu, and Daniel manages to rouse him. And Daniel tells Jack that they took Martuf, and Jack tells him about the memory recall device and something that made Jack think of the seventies. I love that. Uh, yeah. That is okay. They gave me something that reminded me of the 70s. Yeah. And then Jack's like, I'm going to pass out again. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. And we're done. Oh, I bet that stuff gives you a really bad hangover. Oh, it's, I mean, it's Ooh, gotta be. I mean, maybe that's why everybody's unconscious. I mean, with how like Sam and Jack are behaving, like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm going with that's what makes people pass out is that hangover. It's it's basically acid is what yeah. I'm thinking mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. So we then get a quick scene back on the cargo ship where Tilk and Aldwin agree that if Sokar's mothership is not in orbit, they should go ahead and attempt a rescue, which 
great, good for that. But they have to be very careful with the weapon because it will take 12 minutes for the core to reach critical mass. And if Sokar is able to figure out what's going on, that will give him enough time to, like, get away. Fair enough. Yep. So Martouf is now in Apophis's clutches, and it seems like the main part of the torture is over as when we come in, like, the, the recall disc is being removed from his temple, and Sam is being brought in and shoved to her knees in front of Martouf, but... Martouf sees her as Jolinar's host, Rosha, and Sam, you know, keeps begging Martouf not to tell Apophis anything, but he's like, I can't watch you die. I, you know, I love you. I can't watch you die. So he tells Apophis that the Tok'ra resistance is on Entak. No! Which my question here is, how do all of these different races have the same names for planets? Like, <laughs> how does Apophis know what slash where Entech when Entech is? It's a very good point. Yeah, that that that's my. Well, question. I mean, that's circling back to the larger issue of how are they all speaking the same language? I mean, yes, there is that. That's, yes. that's just something that that we have to go with. That we yes. went over that before. Yeah. But yes, totally valid. How do they know? Because, like, we call Germany Deutschland, or, you know, they call it Deutschland, we call it Germany, other way around. Yes. That reversed it. So, like, yeah, totally not even, not yes. even the same thing. Yes. Could be totally something different. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, and, like, in Italian, like, the country Germany is different from, like, the, the citizenship German. Like, two completely different words. Mm hmm. For those things, which is weird. But, yeah. Uh, but apparently everybody knows what Entech is. Yes. So we'll just go with it. Um, so Apophis orders, like, Martouf and Sam back to the pit and for Daniel Jackson to be brought to him. You know what would have been funny? It was if he was like, it's on planet P2X 957. And Apophis <laughs> was like, ha ha! Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what that is. Yeah. N no. <laughs> no. 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 Give it a name. <laughs> Which can I just just jumping ahead four seasons? I'm so glad when Lost City happens and we get like that there are names for planets. Yeah. And that they actually make like they actually make sense. I I just I appreciate that little bit of Stargazing. Yes. Yay. Mm -hmm. we'll get there yep so in Sokar's throne room uh the fleet is ready and also Binar has not reported as he was ordered to do so so Sokar's just gonna like go blow up Natu before they head out on their attack against the system lords yeah sounds like fun yeah I mean why wouldn't you mm-hmm mm-hmm so Daniel's being dragged off to see Apophis, and in the pit, Sam realizes that Martouf lied. <gasps> There's no Tok'ra on Entech. He just, like, couldn't watch Sam die, so he lied. Very convincingly. Very convincing indeed. And they're like, but what does Apophis want with Daniel at this point if he thinks he knows where the location of the Tok'ra resistance is? That really should have been an easy one. Yeah, because what Apophis wants with Daniel is the location of his son. Yeah, hello. Like, duh. So, I do appreciate that in this episode, like, with Sam, we get sort of how this the memory recall device and blood of Sokar works. And then with Jack, it's sort of shortened a little bit. And then with Martouf, we get the after. And then here with Daniel, basically just, like, straight into the memory flashback kind of thing. Like they don't keep repeating how they like get into like the memory recall thing, mm, which is, yeah. which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, so Daniel's memory or sort of flashback scenario is in his office as he's going through some of Shari's things that Kasuf had sent to him after Shari's funeral and Jack comes to check on him and see how he's doing. And there's this one line here that 
I really want the real Jack to have said to Daniel because it's just, it's so good. And I think actually really encapsulate a lot about their relationship where he says, I know I don't always sound like I believe you, but I do believe in you. Yeah, that would have been like, nice. I, I want that to be something that like Jack said to Daniel in real life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he did, but I just, I want, I want it to be a thing. Well, let's just say yes. Okay. Um, but anyway, no, Daniel's not going to tell Jack where Amonette sent the boy because Jack starts talking about Amonette and that sort of tips Daniel off that this is not real. This isn't happening. No, no, no. Because Jack would always call Charay Charay, not mm-hmm. Amonette. So. Mm-hmm. This torture of Daniel is then interrupted by Sokar calling for Binar on what we previously just known as the sort of ring transporter device, but it's also also apparently some sort of just general communication device. I know, it doesn't have one of those ball things. No, he doesn't. But apparently Sokar and who's ever in the chamber can talk to each other through it. So, yeah. Sokar's calling for Binar, and Apophis is like, no, I'm not Binar, I am Apophis, and all on, Natu, now follow me. And Sokar's like, I will destroy uh-huh. you. And Apophis is like, I have something important to say, blah, blah, blah. My, my question here is like, what, what did Sokar think happened to Apophis? Because... I don't know. So, going back a bit to, you know, when Apophis died, we sent him through the Stargate to Sokar, so Sokar didn't destroy Earth. So Sokar then supposedly revived Apophis, both host and Gould symbiote, tortured him for a while because he now has that facial thing, and then at some point sent him down to Natu. Did he think Apophis was just going to be like some sort of flunky dude? Because yeah, like, well, I'm done. I don't know. He was done with his play toy. I don't. Yeah. I don't know either. Because, yeah, it like in the exchange that Apophis has with him, it's like he has to remind Sokar who he is. Yeah. <laughs> when Sokar like made the biggest deal ever in trying to retrieve him. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's really funny. It's. It's like, I don't know. How how did you forget who Apophis is? And the fact that he was there and yeah. I don't yeah. I didn't it was very weird. It was weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Agreed. Me. No, okay. it was weird. Great. I found no, I found it me. so weird he had to like introduce himself. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh so we get a quick scene back on the cargo ship with Aldwin getting the bomb ready and they see Sokar's mothership in orbit and Aldwin directing Tilk to stay like on the dark side of the moon so that they can't be detected, which yes, please mm-hmm. So Apophis tells Sokar that he's learned some valuable information from the prisoners and sort of fake grovels at Sokar's feet about how he wishes to serve him and Barnar was weak and awful and blah blah blah. And Sokar will now allow Apophis to grovel in person. Right. Yes. So Apophis orders Daniel then to be taken away. And Daniel sort of spots that communication device on a table and punches a Jaffa in the stomach. And he it looks like he has like Harrower's symbol on his forehead. So there are apparently a multitude of Jaffa down on Natu. Kind of collected. Yes. So basically, he punches that Jaffa so he can get punched in return to fall onto the table to grab the communication device so they can get back in contact with Tilk, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, very smart thinking on Daniel's Mm -hmm. behalf. Yeah, well done. Yes. So he gets dragged away, and Kintak wants to know how Apophis plans to kill Sokar, since there's no way Sokar will allow Apophis any weapons on the ship. And it turns out Apophis has a plan up his sleeve, like... Literally! Literally! In the form of a knife, in a little sort of forearm gauntlet thing. 
So Sokart, Apophis is like, uh, you know, I'll tell him what I want and that I want to be Lord of Nature. So Sokar will come down off his throne to give me his symbol. And once he's close enough, I'm going to activate this knife thing in my gauntlet and just stab him and kill him. Bynar didn't have a symbol, though. He didn't. No, he did not. So I say that is a fatal flaw. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. He didn't have a symbol. No. So he, like, Apophis then in sort of initiates the ring transport thing, but then gives uh, Kintak the final crystal to put in the thing to then activate to send Apophis up to Sokar. Yay! So on the cargo ship, Tilk spots the transport beam that goes up to Sokar's ship. But unfortunately, the weapon is ready to go. And then in the pit, Daniel's dragged back in and shows the rest of SG-1, the communication device that he managed to grab. And so Sam gets in touch with Tilk and who then tries to delay Aldwin sending the bomb. But Aldwin just threatens him with the zats and launches the weapon into the moon to explode. To explosions. Yeah. And they feel the impact down in the pit, and we hear somebody off screen yells, Sokar is attacking! And it sounds an awful lot like Peter DeLuise. <laughs> I, I, was, that. I yeah. was not able to find out for sure if that was Peter or not, but he tends to cameo in episodes he directs, so mm. possibly. And Tilk tells, like, SG-1 what's going on and that they have 12 minutes before basically everything goes kablooey around them. And there's explosions happening all around them on day two. And Sam's like, I have an idea and tells everybody to start packing a nearby geyser with, like, rocks and fabric scraps and whatever they can find. Just, like, shove it all in this hole and something's going to happen. Explosions! And we finally get Apophis and Sokar face-to-face. And Apophis is like, I have learned valuable information. Sokar's like, great, tell me what it is. He's like, it's so good. You must make me the Lord of Natu. And he's like, cool, tell me where the Toker Rebellion is. And Apophis is like, I know more than that. No, like, so much more than that. Sokar's like, and that is. And Apophis is like, make me Lord of Natu. And Sokar's like, fuck, fine, tell me. Like, why? Just tell me what you know. And the Apophis is like, it's on Entech. Ha ha ha. And Sokar is like, uh, no, I conquered Entech last week. And there's like no Tokar there. So it's time for you to die. So bye now. Slowly. Yes. Which, I mean, I really like that scene. <laughs> between those two guys. Funny. It's pretty good because, like, we as the audience, like, know what's going on. And then just, like, yeah. yeah. I do like Apophis' face when he's like, no, I just conquered it last week. There's nothing there. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> lied to me. How dare they? It's like, of course they lied to you, you idiot. No. Yeah. Worst interrogator ever. <laughs> yeah. So up in the cargo ship, Alwyn's like, we got to go or we're going to be blown up with the moon. And Tilka's like, fine with that. And Alwyn's just trying to be reasonable. And so Car's ship is still in the way. And even if SG-1 can get out, there's no way they can, like, intercept the transport beam. And Tilk finally is, like, just had enough and grabs the Zat from Alwyn, like, shoves him back into the storage bay and, like, locks him away because there's no way... Tilk is just going to abandon his friends at this point. Yeah, way to go, Tilk. No. So down in the pit, the vent is all blocked, and it's, like, getting ready to go. And once it blows, all the rocks and everything that had been stuffed into it blast the door into the pit open so everybody can get out. Yay! And then we get a very quick shot of Apophis being tortured with the pain stick as Sokar just laughs. Mm-hmm. So Daniel lets Tilk know that they're on the way and Aldrin yells through the door at him about everything that could possibly go wrong if they don't do this like exactly precisely correctly, which Tilk is like, I, yeah, I know. Got it. Got it. Yep. 
So SG-1 and everybody make it to Binar's chambers. MR2 starts to work on the controls while everybody else basically just waits in the center of the room where the ring transport is. And up on the mothership, another of Sokar's Jaffa comes running in and tells Sokar that, like, is about to blow. And he's like, impossible, I control Natu. <laughs> I love this reaction, too. Impossible! I didn't say. Yeah, sure. I didn't uh, tell it to. I didn't tell it to explode, so it can't be exploding. But Apophis takes this sort of moment of distraction to... You know, take out his knife and take out the two Jaffa, like the one that had been torturing him and the one that had come in from before. So those Jaffa are dead. He then grabs the staff weapon to try and take out Sokar, but Sokar activates the, like, personal shield on his hand device, so he's fine. And Apophis just runs away, and Sokar just, like, screams in horror and aggravation. Ah, how thing how how dare things not go the way I want them to go? That happens to me so many times in a day. All how dare things not go the way I want them to go? How dare they? But it's go time for our guys. Yay! So Tilk gets the cargo ship into position and it works. Everybody's safe. Let's go, 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 go. The mothership starts firing at them, but they manage to get out of the way as the moon explodes, taking the mothership with it. And we say goodbye to Sokar. Also very Star Wars. Which I'm kind of sad about because, like, Sokar was kind of a really awesome bad guy. I know. His look was neat. It was cool. I mean, fortunately, this this is not the last we'll see of David Palfy. Just the last we'll see of Sokar. Mm. Mm. So everybody's safe in the cargo ship. Tilk starts passing out water and is basically as surprised as Aldwin that everybody actually survived and made it out alive. I do like that line. What's the exchange where he's like, I'm so sorry I doubted you. And Tilk's like, I'm as surprised as you are that we survived. I mean, that that's basically <laughs> it. Yeah. I love that exchange. Yep. True uh, Tilk fashion. Yeah, Aldwin, I'm sorry I doubted you. Tilk, I'm as surprised as you that we survived. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, like it. We then get Jacob suggesting a father-daughter trip to Alaska. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. Uh, But then this episode closes on Apophis up in Sokar's throne room looking at the explosion of Natu. And so it seems like we're not quite done with Apophis. So he made it out alive again. He did. The end. He is a tricky one. He is. He is. Which I wasn't sure where to put this, but one of the things I noticed with like the shots we got of Delmac, which is where Sokar's throne room is, like there was like traffic. <laughs> if you oh. look, like there were like, I don't know, quote unquote cars of some kind sort of driving down roads of some sort oh, like in the background yeah like if you go back and like if you watch like Joel and I's memories in this one the shots of Del Mac there's like traffic quote unquote <laughs> if you will <laughs> which I think is just it's just it's one of those little touches that just sort of makes it more real you know yeah like yeah. a place yeah. That's funny. I didn't even see it. Mm-hmm. I was paying too much attention to what I was supposed to see. Yep. Mm. Okay. So, do we have any memos for this week? Ah. <sighs> Can I put in a memo? Well, I guess we have to make the memo actually just for a papas, a papas of just, you know, you have to learn better to be an interrogator. <sighs> for okay. Or Apophis learn better interrogation techniques, <laughs> which seems a weird thing to make a memo about, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I perhaps we should give a homework assignment to try in your real life, you know, Apophis interrogation methods where you're just like, so it's a lovely day, whatever. Tell me what I want to know and see if it actually works. Okay, so homework for Apophis. Yes. 
learn better interrogation techniques. Yes. Okay. If it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's really anything we didn't cover last week. Really, no. as far as memos. And I didn't, I didn't really see any major plot holes. Although what I did notice was that like the entire time Jacob was on the planet, he was like close to death. <laughs> and then, and then after everything was fine on the ride home, he was like, "Hey, let's go to Alaska." And he was like, "All better again." Like, okay, I guess you just needed some fresh air. I don't. Okay. Well, I mean, sure. Yeah. 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 It it did yeah. seem weird that that all of a sudden he was just like, "Oh, I'm fine," and didn't didn't keep up the. I really need medical attention right about now, on the ship. Well, you know, Martouf didn't have that medicine for the symbiote, at least. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess just, I mean, even just being out of nature was just sort of like, okay, now I can get help and I'm not going to die. Even if I still have a recovery period ahead of me, I will recover. True. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I liked it. But it was good. Didn't really, okay. didn't really pick out any major plot holes. Okay. Out of the right. All right. Should we get into the title of this week? Yes. Okay. So this week's episode, The Devil You Know, which is from, like, the sort of, the full idiom about that is better the devil you know than the one you don't. Where do you, how far back do you think this dates to? Oh, the saying itself? Yes. Ooh. Hmm. Sounds old. Yes. Sounds like a line from an old opera. It's not. Mm-mm. No, I don't even know. Tell me. Okay, so it can be traced back to 1539. Oh wow. Okay. And the book of proverbs or adages out of Erasmus by R. Taverner. In Latin, the phrase is "nota res mala opima," which means "an evil thing known is best." Mm. Which is, you know, better the devil you know than the one you don't. And so the proverb, as we know it today, first appeared in writing in 1857 in the novel Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. Better the, devil you, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know is an old saying and perhaps a true one, but the bishop had not yet realized the truth of it. Mm. It's from there. So, and, I do like that phrase. I like that one a lot. Yes. And I got to say, we have some really interesting, like, foreign territories titles for this Ooh. week. Whereas, okay. so, like, last week, everything was basically just Jolinar's memories. So, in French, like, last week was The Flames of Hell Part 1. So, we have The Flames of Hell Part 2. Lame. In Italian, it is Dominations. Okay. In Spanish, it translates as A Bad Weed Never Dies. Oh, no, that totally works. Apparently, uh, a Spanish saying meaning like bad people last longer, mm-hmm. or like you know the bad penny keeps turning up. Yeah. Um, in Czech, it translates as exor- exorcism of a demon by a devil. Ooh, what? All right. Yeah, yeah. I like that. In Hungarian, it translates as the damned devil. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in German, it is Apophis's return. What? Yeah, so maybe not so great in German, but like all, like a lot of the other ones are like, oh, okay, yeah, and they all work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, general trivia: This episode was nominated for a Leo Award for Best Production Design in a Dramatic Series for Richard Houdolin. Yay. So I had mentioned last week that originally this was just pitched as like one episode, Jalnar's Memories and The Devil You Know. So now that we have talked about both of them, because it ended up being split due to sort of budgetary reasons, do we think this is something that would have even worked as a single episode, budgetary concerns, you know, aside? Ah, uh, no, I think it worked way better as two. 
Yeah. Because so many of the episodes we watch, we're like, what? How did, did how did we get from there? And the what? And there's and then just like, oh, everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if this had been smushed into one, yeah. then it probably would have just been like them getting caught, one of them having a dr- having been tortured. Yes. Uh, like the whole Apophis coming back would have been way shorter. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, everything's fine. And and I guarantee we would have watched it and been like, what in the who? What now? Okay. Yeah, I agree. I definitely like this as two episodes much better than one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more episodes that probably should have been two. <laughs> Possibly, yes. Yeah. We can start voting. Okay. Yeah, no, I liked it. I liked it as two. Okay. Uh, So general rating for this episode? I liked it. Okay. Yeah. I probably did end up liking these better because they didn't have a lot of plot holes because they were actually, like, (laughs) full content. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. These are definitely, I think... I, I don't know if you can really sort of rate John Lars memories and the devil, you know, separate from each other. They really definitely are two episodes that play together mm-hmm. as like, you have to take both of these as a sort of singular story point story yeah, point, yeah. if yeah. you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. But these are definitely up there for me. Like, even in, like, all ten seasons, like, these two episodes are, yeah, Mm -hmm. up in the top for me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, we have a listener email this week. (gasps) Yay! Yay! So, this is from Michelle Huber. So, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that one of the things we always sort of question is, like, what's a day? How, how does everybody know what a day is? How does everybody is? know what time it is? What time it is? What's a day? What's a month? What's a week? Et cetera. How does everybody know these things are the same? Yes. So uh, our listener, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Has a sort of headcanon about the sort of day, week, year terminology, if you will. And so she says, when characters from another planet in Stargate, Star Trek, or any other sci-fi give an indication of time as a day, week, year, and so forth, I had canon that our Earth counterparts have an idea of where a planet is in space and go there already knowing how long the planet should take to complete an orbit around its sun or suns. That would give them an estimate of how long a year is and should in turn give them an idea of how long a day is. Knowing that, they should have a rough estimate of hours, months, days, and weeks based on math, assuming, of course, the inhabitants of the planet adhere to the celestial calendar rather than a religious one. When it comes to Stargate, I think Carter knows where a planet is in space and has an idea of how long a year should take based on its location. If she doesn't, some questions of time could be solved by the maps, which I could easily see going through with equipment necessary to look at the sky, find the sun or suns, and keep track of how it slash they move to determine the length of a day and approximate the time of day in location of the Stargate. Seeing how, quote unquote, fast the sun or suns move in the sky would tell them an estimate of how long an hour should be. Also, assuming that 95% of Stargate-laced planets look like Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the SGC should have an indication of the season, and that would tell them if there was a lot of daylight left or little daylight, as in winter. Learning all this would then tell them how to convert planet time to Earth time. As for Natu, because we had mentioned in Jolinar's memories at one point, Jacob was like, I have been here for four days. It's like, but you're on the moon underground. How do you know it's been a day? Mm-hmm. So as for Natu, I just had canon that the denizens can determine day and night by the temperature. Assuming Natu works somewhat like Earth, the hellscape should cool down at least a little bit at night. Yeah, uh, yeah I well hope- played. 
yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't complicate myself and that this all made sense or at least or at least enough sense that it got my point across. I totally go with that. That sounds very good. Um, yeah. What does what mostly bothers me about when we talk about it in the shows though is not when we talk about time it's when the inhabitants of like whatever planet they're on mention time like if an sg1 member gets kidnapped and they're like you have three hours to get back to me like how do they know (laughs) the terminology of hours weeks months years? how do they know you know yeah when somebody on the planet says like ah we've been here for five days you know like it's that's usually what bugs me a lot more is when the when the planet people say Earth terminology for time. Yeah. Like, how? How? How do you know? Yes. And I mean, I guess, but I guess that also plays into the why is everybody speaking English yes. <laughs> part of this show. And if we want to assume so, some sort of translation technology, a a day is just you know, the time from day till night, you know, from sunup to sundown kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. and however many, you know, periods of day there are in a month, in a year, et cetera. Yeah. That is something that, you know, they they never really play with and they totally could of, yeah, you could totally figure out what an hour is or a day or a year what from the planet of everything. And they never... They never have any storylines where those times are actually different, as far as yeah. I remember. Yeah, that would be like interesting. If like, like, you have an hour to do this. Well, an hour here is actually like 75 minutes. So, yeah, I think that the the issue we have is just sort of the discrepancy between aliens using Earth terminology for time-related things. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. 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 But uh yeah, but I I think what Michelle says holds water for sure. And mm-hmm. that it's probably just something that would happen sort of off camera to us because it's boring science stuff that doesn't really have an impact on what we as the audience see, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just sort of that whole Aliens using Earth terminology (laughs) for things. It actually opens up an interesting discussion of, like, how long do you think they research a planet before they go there? How, how, like, what sort of things do they figure out? And how long do do they figure stuff out? Because from what we've seen in the show to this point... It just seems to be the like they dial a planet, does it connect? Okay, great. Send the map. Is there a breathable atmosphere and non-threatening stuff in the immediate Stargate vicinity? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's send the team and go. Yeah. Where it really seems like the SGC would benefit from sending a map with sort of uh like not long range, but just long time sensors and then they dial back up in like a day and see what the map sensors have accumulated within yeah Yeah. like an actual earth 24 hours if you will yeah well even longer than that like maybe a week or something yeah but it seems like they don't do that (laughs) (laughs) and then we're surprised when they go somewhere and are immediately attacked and they have no backup they're like, what? This is so weird. I did not see this coming. Well, of course you didn't, because you just sent a probe through 12 hours ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway. But, yeah. But thank you, Michelle, for your email. We appreciate it. We do like emails. Yes. And if you would like to email us, you can send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch. Don't forget to rate and review us, please, on your podcast listening platform. And we will see you next time for Foothold. Bye. Bye.